Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Ronnie. I'm doing well. I'm doing much better this week than I was last week. Somebody asked me earlier, I think it was Hal, asked me, said, man, where were you last week? Eh, I've been over a commode last week. Stomach flu ravaged my family. It was not a pretty sight by any means. Glad to be back here. Missed some special guests last week. See Scott Carter back there. Miss Javier, who came in, visited last week. Guys, we are still on a mission of inviting guys here. You look around the room, there's plenty of seats. Even JW's got an extra seat by him. In front of you, but by you. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, um, men's roundtable hosted by C Spire is not a C Spire event. This is a local community event. And it's an opportunity for local guys to come in and get plugged into a group and experience community. Uh, we're starting a new series today, our summer series, exciting about that. Uh, but it's just a good time to, to, to get plugged back in. So if you know somebody you might like to invite, uh, ask them to come, come join us, uh, open to all. Two weeks, Phil, two weeks, couples workshop in Fairhope, 24th, 25th? Yep. Friday and Saturday, Friday afternoon and all day Saturday. It's probably worth three months of counseling if you'll just show up for a couple of days. That's right, it is. Yeah, you might even get lucky Saturday night. Nice. <laughs> Banking on it. Yep. Banking on it. <laughs> Guys, welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity of gathering here. Lord, we invite you now into this room in our presence. Lord, I ask you open men's hearts here, open our ears, so we hear the message delivered through Phil or the guy sitting next to us. Mm -hmm. Lord, we're all short, failing short, falling short, suffer under our own sins. But we know the work that you've done on the cross restores us to God the Father. As we go through this series, Lord, I pray specifically that you touch each man's heart here. We begin to see who we truly are made in your image, like you, your children. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Morning, gentlemen. It is uh, good to be back uh, with you. Um, I'd like to report uh, that I made it to the 40-year mark uh, in my marriage. Uh, Carla and I, uh, yeah, amen, amen, amen. So Carla and I uh, enjoyed celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary in Belize uh, the last couple of weeks. I'm grateful to Roan and Ben uh, for pinch hitting. And um, I had a great time, and I, I told Carla that, you know, we'll do this again in 40 years. <laughs> every, every 40 years, we'll just blow it out, do a couple of weeks in Belize. So uh, grateful to be back uh, with you this morning. Um, I want to offer you a song as, as we begin this series, um, and probably what I want to do um, my creative mind, my imaginative mind, um, I, I don't want to get locked in here, but probably through this whole series, what I want to offer you is um, this familiar song uh, by different artists and different forms. Everybody knows this song. And I hope that it just uh, gets uh, burned, tattooed uh, into all of our hearts uh, as we go through this series, because this series entitled free uh, to be a man is really about grace. Uh, I believe, sincerely believe that you and I are not as far along as we would like to be um, in our lives, um, relationally, spiritually, and emotionally, not because we don't know what to do, uh, but because we don't feel, we don't experience acceptance enough and that's called grace the bible calls it grace and god's uh, intent every day is to flood us with grace 
I mean, think for a minute, if you got up every morning and somehow there was this wind that came rushing um, into your bedroom and you felt the wind in your face um, and it was the grace of God uh, welcome you into the day and all that anxiety and all the things that you had to do and all the things that you didn't get done the day before, um, all the guilt, all the shame would be washed away afresh and that you would be freshly accepted into the day and welcomed into the day. That's the way God's intended uh, us to begin the day. And so the song, um, Amazing Grace, we're going to keep listening to every Thursday morning. And so I want to offer you Amazing Grace, uh, the, the version by Chris Tomlin, My Chains Are Gone. And part of the reason I want to offer you this uh, song is because it is uh, tied to the movie Amazing Grace. Now, you must, must, must watch Amazing Grace sometime this summer. If you've already seen it, watch it again. It is the story of Will, uh, William Wilberforce. And in 1786, William Wilberforce comes uh, to the Lord. And he's been a partier. He's been like uh, uh, um, St. Um, um, Augustine in many ways a partier, young rebel rouser until he's 27 years old and he comes to the Lord. And for the next 40 years, he fights slavery in England. And Os Guinness calls William Wilberforce the greatest social reformer ever, apart from Jesus. Um, and we need to know, you know the story of William Wilberforce. So so we'll use him kind of as a, as a model, as a as a, a motivator. And this song, Chris, version of the song uh, was used in the movie. Um, and as you watch the um, uh, video, uh, it's uh, clips from the movie Amazing Grace. So my prayer is is that as we begin this morning, uh, that we will be much much more aware of the gospel in God's grace toward us through this great song that was written, of course, by John Newton, uh, a slave trader uh, that came to the Lord and became a pastor and had a great influence on William Wilberforce. May you hear the voice of God and may he open our hearts to what he has for us this morning. <clears throat> Hope secure. He will. 
Be on the alert, stand firm in your faith, act like men, be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Gentlemen, let's dig in. Follow with me as we read our introduction. And just before I read the introduction, let me tell you why I chose the um, um, motif there of the four horsemen. Um, we have said for years, that I believe that a life team um, is made up of you and three others. That I truly believe that you and I need to be riding through life with three friends because that's the model of Jesus. Jesus had 12 disciples and how many did he have that he was especially close to? Three. David uh, had 37 warriors. Uh, and he had three that he called mighty warriors, and they're mentioned uh, in 1 Samuel. Um, and if you think about it, if it's you and God, how many is that? That's four. And so four horsemen, um, in my mind, you know, is the symbol of manhood. I've always wanted to be a cowboy. I wish I was a cowboy. Heck, I'm afraid of horses but I got a cowboy hat and I got cowboy boots, you know? So I, I like to pretend sometimes, you know? And I love uh, deer camp because I get to be uh, a little boy uh, out in the woods. Uh, uh, and I always wear my cowboy, bat, uh, cowboy boots um, and my cowboy hat because I really believe the words that John Eldridge uh, says in his book, Wild at Heart, that in many ways, the man that we wanted to be when we were seven, eight, and nine years old is the man that God created us to be. Cowboy, a fireman, a policeman, um, you know, a military uh, general. And then we get caught up in life and somehow we lose our sense of masculinity and, and we just become somewhat of drones just doing life. Not cool. So the four horsemen, Free to be a man, take the mask off and ride the open road of grace. Many men try to hide and pretend they are not broken, but this only leads to more hiding, pretending and despair, and nothing ever changes. We fear that God is almost never pleased. This study will lead us into the light between two different underlying motives, our determination to please God or to trust him. One results in a striving that never feels it has done enough to please him. The other results in a trust that experiences his full pleasure. Our motives as Jesus followers will either keep us enslaved in our hiding or free us into God's adventure for our lives. Let's discover the open road of grace together right on. Gentlemen, I'm going to be using um, uh, the book uh, True Faced by Bill Thrall and John Lynch and another guy. And I, I can never remember the other guy. Um, it is since uh, I read it when it was True Faced over 10 years ago, and it has now been kind of repackaged. And it's now under the title The Cure. Uh, I like the original title better. Um, but if you order... Um, Either one of those books, you can order uh, a cheaper version of True, uh, True Faced on Amazon and get you a good used copy, or you can pay the full price and um, 
read the cure but i would encourage you uh again while we're doing this series this summer uh read truth based uh, or the cure same same book just a different title and, and that's what i'll be using uh kind of as a resource what i also want you to know um about this is that this book changed my life um, um i was in the in the middle of um a major failure in my life and those of you who have been to deer camp and come to deer camp you hear more of my story um and i was um trying to recover from uh, one of the greatest embarrassments of my life in a, a true failure and um, i've been walking uh, the road of recovery um, and trying to overcome the guilt and the shame that i felt and I would say, um, I don't remember who gave me this book or how I stumbled onto this book, but it was certainly dropped out of heaven by God uh, to me. And it was like the bow or the finishing touch um, of my being able uh, to recover uh, from one of the greatest failures um, of my life. So if you're here this morning and you're, you know, you're in a struggling place, you're you're really fighting the guilt and the shame um and you're just trying to you know do your best to get along um and there are secrets uh there are failures there's guilt and shame that's inhibiting and prohibiting you uh from being able to dance uh with god then man you're in the right place and this series is for you and i think we all have those um dimensions in our life that needs to be attacked by the gospel so i want you to turn over to galatians chapter five and this is kind of our theme verse through through the whole series galatians chapter five <coughs> excuse me <clears throat> carla gave me an awful head cold while i was in belize you know yeah. price you got to pay you know, for 40 years. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Christ has set us free to live a free life. A free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. The question that I'm going to keep pushing you with uh, as we go through the series is what would you look like if you were really free? Free to love, um, free to be loved, to give love and to receive love, to really be fully able to express uh, who you were designed to be by God and that you were less inhibited or prohibited by your past, by your guilt, by your shame that you are unshackled and truly free. That's why Jesus came to set us free. Now, in your study Bible, it reads like this, something like this, depending on which version you have. This is the New American Standard. This is my study Bible. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Why did Jesus come? And the, and, you know, the uh, kind of the typical answer uh, that you hear a lot of times, he came to die for our sins. No, that is not, that's not why Jesus came. Now he did that, but why he came was to set you free and me free, to cut the chains off, to invite us out of prison. You're free, you're free. Now, most of us have never had the experience of being behind bars, being in shackles, um, but we are figuratively or even on an unconscious level in many ways. And certainly that was my case um, when I first read this book is I felt so much guilt and shame because of my personal failure. I honestly had the mentality that when I would walk into the parking lot at Walmart, that mothers were grabbing their children and locking them in their car and said, Oh my goodness, here he comes, you know, hide the children. You know, that's the way I felt. Now that, I, I mean, I realize that's kind of silly, but it wasn't silly uh, inside my head. It was real, very real. And this study helped me to regain my freedom in Christ. 
I want you to be free. That's the gospel. What would it look like if you were free to receive God's love and free to love? Pick up your pen. I've got three questions for you. Let's go to work. First question that I would ask you, and this is our journaling time. I want to begin every session always with journaling. Engage. Write it down. First question, what do you fear someone will discover about you that would cause shame or rejection? Write that down. Right now, if I called you, uh, Mark, Jeff, Bob, and, tell, and, and tell, Tim, you know, and told you to come up and share with us uh, that which you're most ashamed of. Well, first of all, you'd have to clean your pants out probably before you got up here. I understand. But I want you to write that down. Just acknowledge it. Nobody's going to, I'm not going to call on you. I'm not going to do that. But what would you say is your greatest failure, that which you're ashamed of, um, that which somehow, if we could get a redo, that you would just wipe that out of your record. It would be expunged to use that term, you know? What would you do? And oftentimes, even on an unconscious level, it's that um, behavior, that past um, guilt and shame that haunts us for the rest of our life. I want you to be free. That's what the gospel is about. One of the... Um, neat experiences that Carla and I had while we were celebrating our 40th um, is um, we uh, talked each night um, before we went to dinner about our 40 years together and what that's been like. And um, I acknowledged afresh to her how I have hurt her and failed her. Um, it wasn't, uh, anything that I wanted to even, uh, admit to and talk about afresh, but I truly believe that the only way that we get healed, uh, is when we follow the gospel that God's given us and he's given us a confessional talking gospel. And yet we, we have converted it into some kind of knowledge based thing. You know, if I just learn more and I learn more and I learn more and I keep it all up here in my head, uh, uh. You got to engage. And so afresh, though I had done it uh, in the past for things that I've said to her and things, behaviors, I acknowledged afresh how I'd failed her. And that vulnerability uh, was a re-entering of what scripture talks about in Genesis chapter two, the very last verse of chapter two, and Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. And so the only way that you can attack shame is that you begin to be free enough to allow vulnerability to lead the way. And so once again, uh, I talked about things with her uh, that I didn't want to talk about, that I still feel the shame and the guilt. But the more that I talk about it with her and I experience her grace and her receiving my acknowledgement, the closer that we became, we had a great uh, experience of intimacy uh, during our time together because we were talking about hard things. Question number two, what is the mask you, that you see others wearing? What's the mask that you see others wearing? <coughs> How would you quantify that? Sometimes it's easier to talk about somebody else than it is yourself. So what's the mask? You know, pretend, you know, got to be the smartest guy in the room, uh, can't acknowledge when wrong. You ever been around somebody who can't apologize or uh, um, acknowledge that they're wrong? Wow. What if you're that guy? What if you're that guy? Well, you must be a peach to be married to, you know? 
But that question is so anchored in fear. We're all afraid. We're all afraid. Afraid to be known, afraid to reveal, afraid to admit when we're wrong. Question number three. Now this, this, this is a ring the bell, win the teddy bear kind of question, I think. Question number three, why do you think mask wearing is even more pronounced in Christians than in those still seeking Christ? Anybody? Jeff? Pride. Pride. I thought pride was just washed away when you came to Jesus. You know, I don't have any more pride. I know Jesus. What else? Guilt. I, you know, I thought that was the gospel. I thought God forgave us. You know? No. Guilt. What else? Our group think. Yeah. Tease that out, Steve. It's, it's the idea of we got to be a part of the group and and rather than live freely uh, i got to do everything i can to conform to the group and be accepted by the group yeah, no, yeah. no one sins at church no one sins at church that's it everybody's fine all right higher standard yeah yeah and then interesting you know we come to jesus because of grace and then somehow we get in this locked in view that now we've got to make sure that we never fail. And so it's like we create this higher standard and we start hiding um, all over again. It's miserable. And that's exactly why the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians. You know, uh, the Galatians were riding high on the, on, the, on the gospel of Jesus and on faith. And he said, you foolish Galatians, having begun by trust and faith, are you now going to uh, try to be perfected by your own behavior? You know, and, and like, you know, it's like, this is crazy. And that's, that's what we do all the time. It certainly, as I say, 10 years ago, when I was exposed to this, uh, over 10 years ago now, when I was exposed to this book, that's what was going on with me. I was so afraid that my failure at that time would completely um, um, discredit me in terms of anything that I wanted to do uh, to honor the Lord and that I was really disqualified. And man, I, it was so hard for me to get out of that. I, I was full of shame. And this study, this book, this grace-oriented uh, flooding of understanding the gospel afresh freed me. And, and now I've seen my brokenness used more by God than any gift that he's given me. Much, much more. I mean, why we have Deer Camp and uh, what we're doing at Deer Camp is so much more about men having a, an environment uh, to be broken in a healing place than to make sure they show up and not let anybody know just how much they're struggling. That's not the way it works. So, so let's dig in. Take the mask off. Take the mask off. That's the challenge this morning. Take the mask off. Um, and yet we're all afraid to reveal our true face. We're afraid. <clears throat> and oftentimes what we do is we're in, we're in denial that we're even afraid. Um, that's a big issue um, in those of us who are counselors. I mean, we see that all the time. People come into our counseling office and they're in denial about how they are hurt, hurting or hurtful. They don't see it clearly. Um, 
And scripture is, is filled with examples of that. Saul in 1 Samuel 13 um, is such an example. Uh, Saul is, is stated as this, you know, he, he would have been in GQ magazine. You know, he had it all going on. And yet there was something going on inside of Saul that he was easily threatened and easily afraid that he was going to lose what he had. I want you to look at 1 Samuel uh, 13. And Samuel is afraid of, of losing this battle. And he knew that he needed to wait for Samuel, the prophet, in order to bless his efforts. Well, Samuel was a little slower getting to the battlefield than what Saul was comfortable with. And so I want you to look, just scroll down there, Jeff, to the, to the last uh, couple of verses, uh, like 12 through 14. Um, and, and as um, Saul's anxiety um, increases, um, he decides to take matters into his own hand. One more, Jeff, get it on it. So Saul says this, the Philistines are about to come down on me in Gilgal, and I haven't yet come before God asking for his help. So I took things into my own hands and sacrificed the burnt offering. Now, guys, that was the job of Samuel. And that is an illustration of how you and I move into controlling behavior when we get afraid. I often hear uh, spouses say, he's so controlling. She is so con uh, controlling. You know what is characteristic of a controlling person? Fear. Fear. The opposite of control is trust. Controlling people don't trust. And so Saul lost his ability to trust. He moved into controlling behavior. And he was living in denial about his own um, fear. Look over at James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verse 22 says this, <clears throat> don't fool yourselves into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror walk away and two minutes later have no idea who they are what they look like they're in denial you know what the problem is with your problem you you know the common variable uh, in your problems is as we say everywhere you go there you are everywhere you go there you are and we're often in denial uh, the hardest thing to do is to look at yourself and stop blaming everybody else. You're living in denial. The idea also of taking off the mask um, is the idea of not being a hypocrite. And a hypocrite, once again, is somebody who wears a mask and it comes from, you know, um, the ancient Greeks in theater, they would have these big, um, mask on sticks and they would be behind them and um in the hypocrite uh, the word hypocrite literally means one who wears a mask and it's like when we fail and when we're full of shame obviously the last thing that we want to do is to acknowledge that and share that and again in no way am i suggesting that you go to bash pro shop on saturday morning and get on the microphone and share that at bash pro Nobody wants to hear about your brokenness at Bass Pro. But it does mean that we need to get in a safe environment and take off the mask. So there on your notes, different masks that people wear. The happy mask. Um, I'm better than most mask. I'm very together mask. I'm a victim. Oh, that's one of my favorites. I'm a victim. Man, you can't work with a victim. You know, it is the hardest person to work with, Marshall, is it not? 
You know, it's it's it, it's the person who won't take any responsibility, and it's everybody else's fault. I don't care. I'm self-sufficient. I'm very important. I'm competent. I'm the expert. I'm not hurt. And guys, I would I would say, you know, going back to the um, to the book um, that we wrote, Lions Are Born to Roar, is I am a recovering chameleon. What I and, and, and those of you that have been to deer camp and know the language that we use there, what a chameleon is, is somebody who on the outside changes his color to whatever needs to be uh, acceptable, to be acceptable. And that is who I am um, if I didn't know the gospel and didn't believe that I could actually reveal my failures and my guilt and shame and be a lion and not a chameleon. I can take my mask off. And um, I don't want to walk around uh, in fear that somebody is going to find out uh, how broken I am. It's like, if you acknowledge that you've seen my brokenness, I assure you, you don't know the half of it. There's a whole lot more there. And that's this idea of being free, being free. Um, I want to introduce you again through this whole series more to William Wilberforce. An amazing story. Um, he grew up in a in a, a very affluent home, um, and yet um, in his late twenties he was exposed uh, to the gospel. And um, part of what God had used in his life to bring him to faith was when he was a young boy. He went to live uh, with an aunt and uncle. And they were strong Methodists. They were followers of Charles and um, um, Charles and um, John uh, Wesley. And um, he heard a guy named um, John Newton uh, teach and preach, and it changed his life. He didn't come to a, a consistent faith at that point, but there was a seed planted. And then and not until he was like 27 or 28 years old did he really give his heart to the Lord. And then he began to be mentored and have conversation personally with the older John Newton. So this is just the trailer um, of the movie Amazing Grace. Watch this. <coughs> What do you want with an old preacher? I'm here to seek your advice. Are you contemplating a life of solitude? People like you too much. Besides, Wilbur, you have work to do. No one of our age has ever taken power. Which is why we're too young to realize that certain things are impossible. You're the best fighter in the house and the best speaker. Give us this little terrier Springfield. I believe he's a Yorkshire terrier, my lord. One man will risk everything. Payment in kind. There's nothing you have I'd want, your grace. He'd fetch at least 25 guineas. The game is over. To speak for those who could not. They do this. To let you know that you no longer belong to God, but to a man to make the blind see. We have no evidence that the Africans themselves have any objection to the trade. And to lead a movement that would change the world. Do it. Throw their dirty, filthy ships out of the water. The slave trade has 300 MPs in its pocket. It would be just you against them. If we were to outlaw the trade tomorrow, this would bring financial disaster. His enemy is my enemy. Well before is a rebel. No matter how loud you shout, you will not drown out the voice of the people. People. That matters more. In Africa, I was a prince. In many ways, not unlike you. I'm going to try again. As your prime minister, I urge caution. And as my friend. Not to hell with caution. Remember, God made men equal.
time, but now I see. Did I write that? Yes, you did. Now at last it's true. Amazing Grace. I truly believe that God gives us um, pictures of Jesus uh, redemptively uh, all through history. And William Wilberforce is certainly a, a picture of Jesus. And, and few of us, if any of us, none of us, uh, are, uh, are probably being asked or face the kind of challenges uh, that William Wilberforce uh, faced to overcome slavery uh, in England, a 40-year battle. He found out uh, on his deathbed, uh, just the day that he died, that slavery had been abolished in England. It was a 40-year fight. Four year. And you and I get tired for a 40-minute counseling session. <laughs> I went to counseling one time, and that was the longest hour I've ever had in my life. Wow. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. But I hope that you and I will be uh, inspired by William Force's um, um, example. But maybe more importantly, certainly, uh, it's just the power of the gospel and power of grace. There's three kinds of mask wearers that um, we're tormented by. I'm doing just fine. We hear that all the time. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. And, and I, I know guys that can live a lifetime, and that's just, that's their mantra. I'm fine. I'm fine. Those guys scare me because I don't know anybody that's genuinely just fine. And then there's, you know, I'm going to get better. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep trying harder. I'll get better. Uh, that, you know, that reminds me of an interview of a football coach at the end of the game. Well, you know, we lost by 30 points, but we just need to get better. We just need to get better. And it's like, you, you need to address what's really going on. And then, you know, there's the better than. Well, I know I'm bad, but I'm not nearly as bad as that guy. I'm better than that. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, uh, I mean, I can, I, you know, I, I, now I wouldn't do that. I, I wouldn't do that in church, you know, you know, but it's like, I'm better than that. But guys, <clears throat> I want to um, share with you this morning the great news of the gospel. The great news of the gospel is that we are free to come clean with our brokenness. The apostle Paul cried out, please remove my brokenness. And what did God say to him? He says, no. Because in your brokenness, my power is perfected. What if God wants to use your broken story in the lives of another person? I, I love meeting guys who have a particularly heartbroken story. And then I get David or I get Steele or I get Jeff or somebody who's been through the same thing and say, you know, why don't, why don't you guys have coffee and share that? There, there's so much healing in that that relational connection. But what we often do when we wear a mask is we convince others that they too must present an idealized self, uh, that, the, that new life in Jesus really doesn't work and self-protection is the only hope. That's not good news, that's bad news. And when we wear a mask, we, we also, we can teach others, uh, live the guarded way, um, live life in a life of comparison, envy and jealousy, uh, trade vulnerability for the veneer of safety. You know, I'm not gonna be vulnerable. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be safe. I'm gonna hold my cards to the table. Guys, I think that is a life of self-imposed hell. I don't want to be walking around afraid somebody's going to find out who I am. Do you? Now the, now the great news is captured at least in two verses that I want to uh, close with this morning. Turn over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. 
<clears throat> is so amazing to me. Um, I don't know why I wasn't exposed to this sooner. And I, and I, you know, I'm sure that I read through Romans many, many times before it just hit me um, like a big hug, not, not a pie in the face, but grabbed me like a big hug. And I want you to listen to Romans chapter five, and I want you to think about that which you're afraid uh, somebody's going to find out about your life, your own personal struggles. Romans chapter five says this, all that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. What we would call that is just shoulds and oughts. You should be better. You should, you should, you should. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. Now, what does that look like? I believe that we sin less when we feel forgiven rather than sin less because we know what we should do and we need to do it, right? I mean, the gospel is forgiveness. Again, there's other scripture that says, you know, that doesn't give you a license to just go out and do anything. But man, when I've truly been forgiven and I can get free from the shackles of my inhibitions and prohibitions, um, I want to live out a life of obedience out of being accepted rather than a life of obedience out of performance. When sin, when it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death. And that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. Grace. You're accepted. Welcome. Glad you're here. Really? Do you, do, you, do you know what I've done? You know, I guarantee that whatever you've done, I've done equal, if not worse. Grace. Capture it. Guys, I pray that over the summer that you and I will somehow see grace like we've never seen it before. That's what you need. That's what I need. It's the gospel of grace accepted through Jesus what he did, and you're forgiven. Wow. Then turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> and I'll read 7 through 10. Now, God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we had done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Well, guys, this whole passage um, is so filled with the idea of God's work and my response to God's work. It is by faith uh, that I'm accepted. And I, and, and I had to relearn that over 10 years ago. I, I'd been a Christian for many years, <clears throat> but a, a, a huge failure um, all of a sudden put me back in bondage. It was like somebody just you know, shackled me, I'm ashamed, I'm full of guilt. And I had to hear the gospel all over again. For by grace, you have been saved. It's not your performance. A performance-based Christianity is nothing more than religion. I don't, I'm not religious, but I want an intimate relationship with God. And then the last part of that says, that he's created 
all of us uh, for works. Part of the struggle that William Wilberforce had when he came to Christ was that he was so captured by the gospel that he thought that he should leave politics. He was a young uh, um, uh, politician and he goes to John Newton and you see that in the preview and he's asking John Newton, you know, I think I should give up uh, my position and uh, uh, become a pastor. And John Newton said, no, 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 no. And 40 years later, slavery is abolished. Now guys, you know, probably nobody in here is going to be given that kind of a mission by God, but every one of us have a mission. That isn't, that is the idea that God has given us works to be done. Whether you're 90 years old sitting here this morning, I think, I think we've got a few 90 year olds in here getting close, uh, or you're 20 years old. Um, God has a specific work for you to do. I believe that. Uh, it's different than it probably was 10 years ago, 30 years ago, but he has a work for you to do. Um, and it's by his grace that he's called you to that work. And it's by his grace that you will accomplish that work. But you know what you've got to do in order to get started is take off the mask. God is not going to bless you walking around hiding uh, your guilt and your shame. Just take off the mask. Be free. Be free. Right on. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you um, for the beauty of your gospel, for your word. Thank you for the freedom. And Father, I pray that um, every man in this room um, today and as we go through this series, would have a deeper sense of what you have done through Jesus and the gospel to bring us into a place of freedom so that we might be better lovers, receive love, and do the work, the mission that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.